right, you can have a seat. For some of us, that's like the most we've sung all year. Am I right? Um, over the last few weeks here at Elmhurst CRC, we have been counting down the days to Christmas, and one of the ways that our count is helped uh, is with the candles. One of them evidently went out. Um, we have been counting five, four, three, two, one, Jesus, or Christmas. Um, we're almost there. And we have been counting down some of the songs that appear in the pages of the Bible around the time of Jesus' birth. It's not just here in this church that there's a lot of singing. In the pages of the Scripture, all of a sudden, when the Son of God is about to arrive, music starts exploding out of every corner. Mary, Jesus' mom, sings a song when she's pregnant. Zechariah, the priest, even though he doesn't really understand what's happening, he's silent for nine months. And then the first thing out of his mouth is a prophetic song, and on the night before Jesus' birth, the number one song of Christmas is sung by angels over the hills of Bethlehem to shepherds. The words of their song are printed right on the screen. We heard them from the mouths of children earlier on, if you would read them with me. Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to those on whom God's favor rests. It's a good song. It's a, it's a really great song. Um, but it's angels. It's angels who sing this song. I feel like, do you have like boxes of Christmas stuff, maybe in an attic or a garage or a closet somewhere? And then around the beginning of Advent or December or after Thanksgiving, you take this box out and maybe you have some favorite Christmas decorations. I feel like in culture, there's a box and then angels come out just for like a couple days right at Christmas. Because if you talk about angels any other time of the year, people are like, that guy's a little crazy, right? But it's cool on Christmas Eve. I want to make the case to you, because God is God and because this world is more than what we see, the angel song is not just for this one night of the year and not just for this one moment. But I wonder how many of us have not only heard these words, or sung some of the Christmas carols, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, how many of us have truly, in our heart of hearts and spirit, listened to these words? Now, if you've ever been in a long-term relationship, you probably know the difference between hearing and listening. Sometimes, um, at least at my house, between my wife Sarah and I, Sometimes one of us will broach a topic, and then two days later, we'll revisit that topic, and one of us will say something like, did you hear me, what I said two days ago when we talked about this? Has anyone ever asked that question? Is it just me? And my honest response to that question is usually like, yes and no. I heard you. I understood it. But did I really listen to the heart of the matter and think about the implications? And now we're talking about two, year, two days later, and like I kind of coasted. This is the danger with the scriptures in general, and maybe with this song. It's great to hear the words, glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to those on whom God favors rest. But I want to speak with you for a short moment about truly listening to this song that the angels and God has given us. The song comes in two parts. The first part, I think, is a little easier to understand. Glory to God in the highest. 
it means that the angels in heaven are praising God. That the God who created every atom and inch of the universe designed it so that galaxies and planets in their orbits and our sun and every other star are giving unconscious yet unceasing praise to their maker. It means that every animal on planet Earth in its own animal-ish way is giving praise to its creator. Someone just circulated this amazing video of otters like sledding down a hill in the snow. They just like take off, spread their legs, and like belly flop all the way down a hill. I love otters. And part of me was like, that's otters praising God for their otterishness. Know what I'm saying? And we human beings, whether we consciously know God or not, we praise God by virtue of being human beings. And because we're human beings made in the image of God, we have the special capacity in all of creation to give glory to God in the highest with our hearts and with our minds and with our voices and with our gratitude. Part two of the song, for me, has been the difficult part to really get. I totally did not get it when I was younger. For many years, I thought the song went like this, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. Like, that's where it ended for me. And quite frankly, um, some other musicians in the world, um, there's some really great songs that take this to heart because where is the peace on earth in the last 2,000 years since Jesus was born in Bethlehem? Has there ever been a year where there has not been war in some corner of the year? Did Jesus' arrival wipe out our capacity for violence or unkindness or nonsense or our ignorance? Of course not. So if you ever sing the Christmas carol, It Came Upon the Midnight Clear, the first verse is really quite positive, and then the next verses are like, but what happened? The angels sung that song, and there's still strife and illness and brokenness in every corner of the world. Um, I'm so old that when I was in high school, U2 was one of my favorite bands. They have an amazing Christmas song called Peace on Earth, and it's basically about how there is no peace on earth. Jesus, can you take the time to throw a drowning man a line? The angels sing peace on earth, right? And many times in my life, I'm like, amen. Could you send a little peace my way, Lord Jesus? But that's not the whole verse, is it? The song of the angels is not glory to the God on the highest and world peace. The angel song is about a different kind of peace, a lasting peace, a peace for those on whom God's favor rests. Well, who are those people? Can I sign up to be one of those people? I'd like a little more peace. Who are the people on whom God's favor rests this Christmas? I wonder, is there something I can do? Is there something you can do to be counted as one of those on whom the favor of God rests? By the way, this is way more profound than like hashtag blessed, right? You cannot earn this favor to get yourself into this category. But you can like a Christmas gift, receive it, hold it, open it, treasure it, 
and say thank you for it. Lo and behold, receiving the gift of Jesus and delighting in his presence, the gift that is him, treasuring the gift of Jesus, that is what the favor of the Lord is. It's not earning something. It's not trying hard to work for something. The favor of the Lord is simply receiving Jesus himself. Now, there's some classic ways to avoid this. I mean, one great way to avoid Jesus and the gift of Christmas is in your independence and strength to say to God, like, hey, it's a great story, but no thanks. I just like to keep living my way. You don't have to receive the gift. Another more churchified way of not receiving the gift is to think, all right, God, I heard this is a gift, but I'm not really in control of this whole gift-giving thing, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to do all the church stuff. I'm going to do all the right stuff. I'm going to try as hard as I can, and I am going to merit and earn and deserve your favor. Did you see that check that I put in the offering today, God? Did you see how well I sung the tenor part in the Hallelujah Chorus? Like, that was super hard, but I'm doing it for you, God. And in return, your favor. That's not how it works either, even in church. The favor of the Lord is this, God and sinners reconciled. And only Jesus can do that. I am helpless. You are helpless to accomplish that. The scriptures use this phrase, the peace that passes understanding. Have you heard this phrase before? If not, I commend it to your meditation and deep thought that it's possible by trusting in Jesus to receive the peace that passes understanding. That is a peace that endures for those on whom God's favor rests. I know people in this place who experience the peace that passes understanding, and even though there is illness and sickness and loss, and of course it hurts, but deeper than the hurt is a peace that passes understanding. I know people here who have lost their job and heard really rough things from their former employer, and they wondered how they were going to make it through the next quarter or the next month. But deeper than that and stronger than that wound is a peace that passes understanding. And I have known people who have had so much success, they have more money than they know what to do with, multiple houses, they can't even give enough money away to prevent a cash flow problem in their bank account. There are people like that here. But better than all of that earthly material stuff, because they know it's not going to last forever, and you can't take it with you, is a peace that passes understanding. And if you could have one or the other, a fat bank account or this peace, my testimony to you is that the peace is infinitely better, and it's going to last infinitely longer than any other game in town. Why is God pleased with these people? Why does God's favor rest? Well, it's because people receive this gift and have faith. Faith 
that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. If you're a guest or visitor here, oftentimes faith is defined as knowing the right Bible stuff or knowing the right spiritual stuff. That is not what faith is. Faith is believing that a life with Jesus is the only way to live in arranging everything else in your life to be with Jesus. You don't have to know a lot of stuff. You can even believe some of the wrong stuff and still have that kind of faith. Um, let me illustrate. How many wheels does a bicycle have? Two wheels? Even kids know this? Probably, probably there's some young kids who, everybody knows, bicycle, two, right? Can you automatically ride a bike if you know that a bike has two wheels? No, of course not. I remember being like four years old and falling off my bike all the time, right? But I knew what a bike was. There's some people in this room who haven't ridden a bike in two years, five years, 10 years, 40 years. <laughs> if you had the joint mobility and the energy, no matter how old you are, if you once knew how to ride a bike, we could put you on that bike and before long, you would remember deep down the experience of riding that bike. You still with me? Faith is like knowing how to be on the bike. Faith is not knowing the bike has two wheels. It's not about knowing all the right factual stuff, even the good Bible stuff. It is really helpful. Faith is about having the experience of receiving Jesus Christ and living your life with him because living that life is the front door into living into God's favor. So that kind of knowing, repeated experience, that's what we like to do in church. That's why we open the scriptures every single Sunday, because we experience that God actually says something better than our own self-talk through his lasting word. It's why we pray why we need to pray because something happens and the world turns when we seek the will of God through prayer. It's why so often here we break bread and share wine at Jesus' table because we remember sacrifice and resurrection at the center of the universe's story. And that's why on a night like tonight, we light candles to remember that the darkness can't hold a candle to the strength of Jesus' light and love. Amen? You don't get extra points with God for lighting candles, but it helps us experience the real power of Jesus. Jesus' birth didn't make a difference because he took over the Roman Empire or government agencies 2,000 years ago, or that Jesus came and then educated everybody and took over the institutions of higher learning all in one fell swoop. No, when Jesus comes, it is as a child. And as Jesus is received, it's heart by heart, person by person. The kingdom of God is not going to come when all the Christians vote the same way. The kingdom of God comes when an army of us lets Jesus in and lets him lead the way for the kingdom, for the church, for our family, for ourselves. And that's why even in our very sophisticated modern world, here's good news in my opinion, 
many more people are starting to turn back to Jesus. In the North American church, church attendance is not trending in the right direction. Globally, the Holy Spirit is still alive and well. And even in the Western world, there are some new signs of spiritual life that are just beginning to break forth. It's not that the Jesus way, the Christian way, has been tried by everybody and that it was found to be boring or ineffective. It's just that too few of us, too few of our friends and neighbors, too few of people like me haven't actually tried it. And people are beginning, intelligent people, are beginning to be a little more curious about this. If you're a podcast listener, I commend this little one to you. There's a podcast called, mm, well, I remember what it's called, The Surprising Rebirth of Belief in God by an English guy named Justin Brierley. I have a mutual friend in California who's like best buds with this guy. He's examining what's happening in our world in the last 10 years, and even though church attendance is down, there is genuine spiritual curiosity and hunger for the things of Jesus. So if you feel like it's going down the drain, that you're increasingly lonely as a follower of Jesus, just sit tight. Keep honoring God. Keep giving glory to God in the highest. I believe, because Jesus is who he said he was, that the world is going to start to turn again once more. As unsettled as this planet and people like us can get, Jesus is still the gravitational center. For as dark as things can get, Jesus is still the light of the world. My favorite Christmas lyric is this. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. And that is Son, S-U-N, can you remember what it felt like in July when the days were long and warm? <laughs> Can you remember that on these short, dark days? Have you ever been to a beach, maybe by Lake Michigan or by an ocean somewhere on a warm summer's day? A treeless beach. The sand is warm under your feet. You're on a towel. The sun is shining. There is not a cloud in the sky on a day like that, are you going to be able to escape the warmth and light of the sun? Good luck. It's everywhere, and there's enough light and warmth for everybody. And when Jesus in the song is revealed as the son of righteousness, it's a way of saying you can try to get away from his light. Good luck. You can try to get away from his love but it's stronger and warmer, more beautiful and bright than the best beach day July sky you have ever seen. Jesus is the light of the world, and Jesus is the gift of God's light and God's love for you. In just a minute, we're going to pass the light around the room. Um, I am well aware that many of us in this room have experienced darkness, are carrying darkness, and I invite you in prayer and quietness between you and God to invite and receive the light of Jesus Christ, maybe into that situation, and to trust that Jesus is going to shine, 
Maybe you need a lot of light, and you've never asked God's light to shine. You can ask, and Jesus will give himself to you. Let's be quiet before the Lord together.